0: live
1: i am back everybody i'm back it's been a while since i have done a podcast and i'm very happy to do one today i want to first of all wish everybody who is going to be enjoying the memorial day holiday here in the united states have a great and safe memorial day holiday and i hope everybody has a great time Um, So, my guest today, actually, let me just backtrack a second, you know, recently I've uh, put a little bit of focus on Paul Tudor Jones, Paul Tudor Jones, of course, the hedge fund billionaire, I actually used to manage money for Paul Tudor Jones back in the 80s, so I kind of know him, not well, but I mean, we've met in the past, and I I did do some trading for him, Uh, but as you know, Paul Tudor Jones, founder of the Robin Hood Foundation, a very well-known. Uh, charity and it has become like the the event to go to super a list celebrities big-time hedge fund guys they broke a record recently in one night at their annual gala they raised a hundred and one million dollars so you know really really uh, pretty amazing but uh, and he gets uh, you know he's kinda secretive although he is known for that Uh, on the other hand you know I've done a little video on this, and I've written about it on the blog, uh, because we find out uh, that Paul Tudor Jones, notwithstanding the Robin Hood Foundation, uh, has been very active supporting political candidates and governmental policy that really has uh, led to what I think is uh, massive uh, cuts uh, in support for uh, middle-class people and, and people at the lower end of the income scale, poor people. So it's great that his charity over 27 years raised something like $2 billion. However, the amount that his political support has cost poor people and the middle class has been... Me- I, I would put the number in the trillions, not him personally, but people who support these policies. And he he's a big supporter of these policies. Anyway... I have a guest on today, um, this fellow by the name of John Resnick. I want to bring him on. He is the uh, founder of Competitive at Message Research. He is involved with a group, and some of you probably saw on my blog that video from a group called Hedge Clippers, and John uh, was kind enough to join me on the podcast today because he... Is um, actively involved in doing the research on the actual political contributions from guys like Paul Tudor Jones. So let me just, without any further ado, bring him on here and have him, uh, we'll, we'll get him to talk about it. John, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, sure thing. Thanks so much for having me. And that's competitive advantage research. It's competitive
1: advantage. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, you and I actually met uh, before this whole Paul Tudor Jones uh, story because you were uh, the photographer at an event at Columbia University about, uh, I don't know, maybe two years ago when uh, Warren Mosler spoke. It was an evening that was put together, uh, you know, a modern monetary money kind of an event, and, and he spoke there. So you and I met, and then, you know, What happened was I came across the Hedge Clippers, and I want you to talk about Hedge Clippers because it's a very interesting organization. I don't know how long it's been around. I have not seen it up until recently with that video. But, um, you know, I had made a video about Paul Tudor Jones when he did that TED Talk back in March, and I, I talked about the hypocrisy in that. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple weeks ago, I saw the video from Hedge Clippers, and I'm like, wow, you know, like not too many people. As a matter of fact, I think in my video I said I'm probably the only one you're going to hear, you know, uh, complaining about Paul Tudor Jones. And then you guys came along, you made that video, and you had some really interesting uh, uh, data and, and, um, uh, you know, I think you brought out some things in there that very few people were aware of. So why don't you talk about the Hedge Clippers organization and also the type of research that you do? Sure. What I
0: can say is that I have been a member of a team, kind of a virtual member of a research team. So I'm not, you know, in management. I'm not one of the directors and I'm not a representative, but a virtual researcher. There are numerous researchers, but the area that I have specialized in, since, excuse me, with Hedge Clippers, since they launched in February of this year, but also prior to that as competitive advantage research in my own business, I do the campaign finance piece and where, you know, I would turn to someone like you to express it with all of the passion for the problems of corruption, lack of transparency, you know, the accumulation of influence, any way that you wish to put it, it is a political problem. I approach it as a data problem because you basically have a couple million records that represents billions of dollars that are uh, spent and received by political committees and counterparties to political committees. And so that includes, of course, politicians, PACs, companies, companies that are vendors, companies that are lobbyists, companies that have business before governments, local, municipal, federal governments, uh, and various other matters of that kind. it's simply a volume of records. so, I've so you, you
1: track these you track these contributions they're they're not all the time very clear and evident. I, you and I had a conversation the other day you were saying like they could use many different uh, aliases, different names. So, yeah you
0: let me, let me explain that concept in Greece. I do use the term alias. And it's not quite the same as, you know, a criminal alias where someone is intentionally uh, trying to obfuscate or hide. But in this case, names are manually entered into the records by the filer, that is, the person doing the compliance work either as or on behalf of the treasurer for a given committee or campaign. What this means is they might write your name down as Mike, or they might write it down as Michael. And if they do both, you now have two aliases. Some treasurers are very particular. When I was a treasurer, I used the name exactly as it appeared on the indicia, on the check, or whatever other financial instrument was negotiated. Different people vary. For instance, I was actually double-checking my work on Paul Tudor Jones, and I was wondering why a skein of transactions were missing. It's because several people recorded him, first name Paul, middle initial T, last name Jones. And I can even go into how I found those aliases, but it was because they also called out of the 92 Harbor Drive, Greenwich, Connecticut address as the other ones where Tudor Jones is indicated as a last name. He's actually Paul Tudor Jones II. So some people right. know that and they include the Roman numeral too. Others don't. All things considered, I am searching for Paul Tudor Jones too and his wife, Sonia, Sonia Jones, Sonia Tudor Jones, Sonia T. Jones, Sonia M. T. Jones. These are all aliases that are right. created oh. by different treasurers and sometimes the same treasurer will record someone's name two different ways at different Oh times.
1: it's a way it's a way for these people to contribute or or direct more funds uh, than otherwise, you know, would be the case. Again, it's
0: not deliberate. They will tell you who they are and what their name is, and it all can be checked. And in many cases, you'll find if if a contribution limit has been exceeded, there will be a refund. In federal transactions, you can tell whether it's a refund because someone requested it or whether it is money that has been returned for compliance reasons. And so there are all kinds of reasons this stuff happens. It's not a deliberate thing. It's not a scheme or a plot. They're going on the record with these, transa- these particular transactions. It's simply that this is what happens with public data because the process kind of behaviorally, like you know how sometimes you just open up Excel and you realize that it mangled your data with sort of auto-formatting junk that you didn't think about before you put it in Excel, that's happening. Okay. The public what? data oh. has been right. at a phenomenal rate because more. Not
1: in- an, it's not an intentional, um, oh. you know, nice. uh, desire to skirt the law or to obfuscate. But right. let, let's get to the, you know, to the main point, which is why. What brought you guys to Paul Tudor Jones? Like when I saw that video. I was shocked. And again, I was shocked because I really thought pretty much I'm the only person out there. Like, it it almost seems audacious that anyone... It's fairly
0: esoteric to go to the attack against a specific individual like that. And it's actually a lot of what appealed to me about uh, the Hedge Clippers working with that in particular. Because again, it's less to do with, um, you know, conspiracies or nefariousness than it is to do with who is concentrating capital, where and why, what sort of influence are they getting, how does this affect us. And so this is a case for a small number of people. and I, you know, The Hedge Clippers have done papers on a number of specific investors, specific vertical industries, and in most cases, those papers have tied directly back to politics in New York, whether it's real estate politics, tax and property politics, wage politics, politics. Um, all of that. And so there is certainly a labor advocacy motivation. I'm not a spokesman for the hedge flippers, and I would definitely urge you to reach out. I'm kind of a virtual person relatively on the periphery and that my work on the campaign finance piece is self-contained. But they're going out and getting records for yachts. They're looking at titles and deeds. They're, they're, they're doing real research that I'm proud to contribute to. But it's that they're targeting these specific people, and it's also linked to street actions, they have field teams and they're co- collaborating with other groups again on issues from wage fairness to you know housing and housing policy, tax fairness. Yeah, but
1: the, uh, the video, the video was pretty critical. I mean, what what did they ask you? What sort of data did you ask, they ask you to compile? I mean, the video was very critical of him. I mean, there were things in there that even I was not aware of, but it did not. Make- that
0: was a, in the a lot of the stuff in the video, I think, was first uncovered in the report, or, or at least we collated it. If it wasn't first uncovered there in the paper that was published, the uh, number five paper on Paul Tudor Jones. Uh, what I contributed in all cases, and I did not work on the production of the video, though I am actually a production guy. Again, I'm I'm actually in Austin, Texas. They're based in mostly New York. Um, I'm sorry. Where was I? So. The things that I provided were top line figures, uh, raw transactions underlying them, because what I'm doing when I'm handling this financial data in a database, and I'm able to use procedural methods to correct for all of these aliases, and then to record all of these aliases refer to this guy and this is his wife and here's why I know and now it's portable in a technical way, I can then very easily say here's how much he gave in 2008, 2009, 2010 or slice it and dice it any way I want here's how much he gave where, this
1: where most, to- Was this? Um, did the contributions reflect a political leaning or were they more or less balanced? So
0: that's a very interesting topic actually you're one of the right people this with because you're an economist and because my approach is to look at this uh, as politics as a capital market. Now, a lot of people would
1: assume
0: that all of this kind of money is spent in sort of an ideological rah-rah, go team kind of way, but it's, it's actually far more complex than that. And when I present on this, what I talk about here is what I call the essential value neutrality of money. We don't actually know what the money is. Buying the money is kind of the metadata for the political speech. And nothing about, you know, this guy making a a, a contribution of N dollars to a particular politician tells us this guy is or is not a Republican to any extent. That's what I mean by value neutrality. So why are they buying? Uh, With a lot of these guys, and with Paul Tudor Jones in particular, and with these guys in particular, and Paul Tudor Jones among them is the right way to put it, they're actually buying influence where they need it. That will mean that if you are likely to be a statewide official, if you're running for governor, controller, attorney general, these guys are sending you checks. It doesn't really matter what party you are. We happen to be looking at mostly Democratic statewide officials in New York since the Pataki era. Therefore, those are the people, these cats, are buying with. When you look at the legislature, it gets even more interesting. Often, these guys are putting money into real PACs that will be specifically issue-linked, and this is actually to draw the thread back to Paul Tudor Jones specifically. He, uh, one of his issues, I'm just pulling up one of my own charts here so that I'm speaking very specifically. One of his issues is New Yorkers for a balanced Albany. So this was a pact that literally they spent into the balance of power in the New York State Senate. In essence, they supported Republicans and they opposed Democrats. Was this ideological? I'm not sure, but was it they wanted to be in part responsible for a marginal balance of power shift? Yes. Then I have another piece that com- excuse me complicates this further, which I refer to kind of, sardonically, as the problem of hedge fund spouses, which is if you look up Bill Ackman, you'll find that he's having kind of an amusingly ridiculous divorce with his wife. Now, sometimes these guys and their spouses or their husbands are both political donors, and you can identify them both because they cohabitate, they share an address. You can look it up, you know, if it's a billionaire he's got or she has a Wikipedia page, you can verify these things. And then you can see maybe as a couple they all spend on the same cost, or maybe they spend on a variety of different costs. This, is this a spouse assuaging their guilt, spending you know kind of to counterweight their their, their significant other, or is this part of a complex strategy that they engage in as a power couple? We we don't know. So that's a very long and complex answer. Oh, no, I,
1: I think, are, you know, you could connect you could kind of connect the dots here. I mean when I look at this hedge fund. Yeah, you look at where they're
0: trying to establish a lever. They are using their cash as a savvy investor. They are spending early. They're spending in concentrated ways and they you know, they tend to know where their money is going. You know, Paul Tudor Jones in specific is he, he's a charter school advocate.
1: And so yeah yes. well you know uh and by the way the the list uh they all supported uh, uh Mario Cuomo Andrew um uh, what's his name uh, Cuomo here Governor Cuomo here yes. uh in New York and if you look at the list of people who contributed it's like a who's who of the hedge fund yes. community you now no, you no, have tutor you have Carl icon you have uh Ackman, you mentioned Bill Ackman, you have Jim Chanos, you have the, you know, the whole entire list, uh, uh, Simons, the guy who runs Renaissance, they're all on there, but then you look at the policies of Governor Cuomo here, you look at his his cabinet, his administration, it's very much skewed to the right, it looks like a Republican administration, he's big time behind the whole scam charter school, uh, you know, movement here in the state, which has been sucking resources, both monetary resources and physical resources from the public school system. I know this as a fact. The other thing is that what I found to be interesting, uh, not interesting, but but the height of hypocrisy from Paul Tudor Jones when he gave that TED Talk, again, sort of couched in this, you know, uh, I'm, you know, this empathetic billionaire who's uh, concerned about inequality, And then he said the result of this inequality would be one of three things. He talked about um, war, which is terrible. He talked about revolution, which is a complete uh, upheaval of society. And then he talked about, God forbid, taxes. Okay, so he lumped taxes, ostensibly taxes on his own income strata, on his own, uh, you know, uh, group. He lumped that in with war and revolution. So you can, you know, when you connect the dots, I don't, you know, he might give to both parties there, John, you know, to be sort of, you know, quasi equal. But I remember reading something about Bloomberg one time. Yeah, he gives to Republicans, but he gives like one one hundredth of the amount that he gives to, you know, independents or Democrats. All I'm
0: saying with that is that people have their own position, but. What I'm saying is there isn't necessarily a direct, you know, kind of one-to-one translation between what the money does and what that position is in an ideological frame. Well, that's
1: yeah. he, what I'm saying. what yeah, I'm. saying. Yeah, I'm saying it's fine it. to have your position. Hang on, I'm saying it's it's fine to have your position. I, you know, you, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone's entitled to use their money you know they the way they they want to use it but i am against hypocrisy i'm for exposing hypocrisy i'm for exposing phoniness and these people are phonies you know it's yeah, great that he has charity but i think you know what his support of these political um policies and these politicians and and you know his his you know milieu his uh his group the type of support that they provide uh, monetarily, you know, has led to taking away literally trillions of dollars from the middle class these policies have. So it's a, it's an enormous hypocrisy is what I'm saying. It
0: raises some really interesting questions, right? Because, you know, here's a guy who filled wetlands on his property and paid a federal criminal fine and then, you know, made a large donation to become – you know, trustee or president or something for the Wetlands Association. So in that case, he's nakedly rehabilitating, you know, his reputation. He's doing that social responsibility thing and is literally, you know, as you could say in a hypocritical way, to offset something he's doing that's socially damaging. But then, you know, there's this line that you can move towards. And, again, I'm not carrying water, defending, or taking anyone's position. But one of the things we encountered in doing this research is that the Robin Hood Foundation, regardless who's involved or what they say or how they pass themselves on the back, they do fund organizations that do good work, which has a complex thing because it makes it difficult to criticize them even when they earn it. But at the same time, in so doing, it threatens resources that potentially go to good works. Because, you know, some of these people might actually mean well, even if we disagree on what that conception even means. And this is simply me thinking about it as if, I don't know anything about him, which in truth I don't, other than I guess things that I've read. And again, this isn't a defense of anyone or carrying water. It's simply how hard it is to infer someone's position or or, or intentions in, in, in that frame. And, you know, when you look at it that way, you see, I guess you see where, People like Paul Tudor Jones are worth being called out and having it published because you're able to say he says all of this, but at the same time this is what he does. And that is what's righteous about this kind of work. It's what I enjoy about doing these reports, and it's a large part of why I actually built this technology specifically to be able to mine and extract and present this exact kind of insight into what people are really doing and where influence really accumulates.
1: Now, what are, are there some other names uh, that you've been working on that, you know, might be uh, of interest for people to to see kind of like uh, where they're uh, putting their money?
0: Where who's putting what money? I mean, there were... Now, I, other
1: I, than Paul Tudor Jones, what are, you know, are there others that stand out that, that you've worked on in terms of, uh, you know, kind of breaking down the numbers?
0: Oh, I mean, we've worked on uh, Paul Singer... Dan Loeb, um, outside of hedge funds and outside of finance, the piece, you know, we worked on Rahm Emanuel and some of the Ken Griffin and the Citadel guys out in Chicago. There have been a number, and all the names you mentioned earlier, Carl, I can't, Chano, those guys. Basically, I had a list of about 800 prominent fund managers that I have done some research into these guys like PTJ, a lot of research into to track down things like their employees, their spouses, their cohabitants, their aliases, et cetera, some of which is detail work. But the guy that kind of started it all for me to give this a New York spin and to connect to actually both of the legislative leaders being federally indicted, arrested, and removed from leadership, the guy that started my uh, profile with this this year, even though I've been kind of chugging away at this project for two years, so far is Leonard Litwin who owns more than two dozen buildings in New York City and was heavily involved in the political fight essentially to preserve the 421A tax credit. Are, are, are you familiar with 421A? Uh, no. So it's, it's, this, is, this is kind of connected to both Sheldon Silver and Dean Skelos's arrests because... Litwin and or his enterprise are one of the cooperating witnesses in both cases. So 421A is a tax exemption carve-out, you could say, on property tax that was made at a time when no one wanted to build in New York because it was the the 70s or something. And so basically what this tax carve-out said was that if you bring online and it was like a ratio, a certain amount of affordable housing, stock, you got a certain amount of tax shelter for, you know, whatever else thing you built, you know, whether it's, you know, so when you hear about the poor door,
1: it's so right.
0: So those Right, right,
1: doors- right. Poor door. You can't, they can't go in the front door. They'll build the affordable units, yeah, but it's you, like, you, know, you got to go, you got to go through the back. Yeah,
0: so the reason that was a fight and people even cared is because there's public money involved because they're getting a tax break. And so 421A is something that, You know, there was a time when it was necessary to create some kind of levered inducement to get buildings built in order to preserve and maintain housing stock at all. But, of course, the calibration really matters, which is why, in consideration of that, the 421A law has a regular sunset provision. So it's into this steps, kind of my campaign finance work, because ultimately Leonard Litwin was a big, political spender, and I think he was spending to preserve this prerogative, essentially, to get these tax cards out for the nature of his development project. Meanwhile, at some point, this turned into a, 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 possibly, I, I think in one of the cases at least, directly alleged extortion, where under color of law, it's basically you give my son Adam Gulos 20000 in cash, or we kill 421A. And so that's kind of what happened, according to the allegations against Skilos. and of course, there's also some funny business between him and Silver. Now, where this ties to my research is that Leonard Litwin does business through 27 or so different LLCs, and New York has something known as the LLC loophole, which essentially allows LLCs to participate in politics as if they were individuals, but without the caps that are ascribed normally to individuals and individuals without the aggregate cap saying you can only give this much to the whole field. And actually, it's the New York LLC loophole that was widened into the McCutcheon federal decision that destroyed aggregate caps nationwide because you were able to do this thing in New York. They blew it open. And so the LLC loophole says, you know, if you happen to be this guy and you have these dozens of LLCs, you can buy into politics for $15 million if you want to, and that's what he did. So if you ne- now take the problem with aliases that I described earlier and map it across dozens of business names where you also have misspellings,
1: abbreviations,
0: punctuation, nomenclature issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And basically I tracked down roughly a 1,000 aliases, maybe 1,200, for Litwin and his businesses, and I published that chart. And, of course, he was huge into Cuomo, huge into Silver, huge yeah. into Silver, huge into Flanagan. Huge you know,
1: the the, um, the outrage there is, you know, these are the same people many times who, who call for cuts in government spending, fiscal uh, conservatism, fiscal austerity, uh, the elimination of welfare, cuts to the social safety net yet these are the largest recipients of uh, public uh, welfare you know via these tax breaks or direct payments and subsidies that they receive they're all billionaires litman is a billionaire you know and it's it's a a total perversion uh and again just uh, you know not to overuse the word but a monumental hypocrisy it's really an outrage i mean and um You know, um, they're they're phonies. They need to be exposed. Uh, That's why I was very happy to see the Hedge Clippers, uh, you know, organization get going. Uh, And I hope uh, this is a relatively new organization. I think it only started this year, right?
0: It it was earlier this year. And so it was my work on Litwin that got me pulled into the mix because they saw how I had essentially drawn together all of these records and was able to uh, slice and dice them, and yeah, I come at this with an aspect of understatement. I'm not going to make like a lot of the sorts of statements that you do, but that's just because, in part, the data speaks for itself, and anyone that looks at this is kind of like, yeah, these are, you know, this is this is an issue, and that's what that's what publishing it is all about. And so, for me, it started actually as a blog where I was going through the New York City 2013 elections. Blasio on down the entire council. Two-thirds of the seats were open with no incumbents. And I was essentially observing, like it was an experiment, how campaigns were interacting with each other financially and with their fields financially in terms of their expenditures and and their donorship. Have you seen seen the Batman movie, the Chris Nolan one, where Keith Ledger is Joker? Yes. So my best sense of campaign finance, what politicians really do with with the money, and this is, you know, I'm speaking anecdotally, but it is certainly based on handling vast amounts of the data, is that basically after they've raised the money, they put it in a pile, light it on fire, say, it's only my half. And that's, that's what actually happens. They don't know how they're spending their money. They're non-strategic with how they're spending their money. None of them know their cost of fundraising. They don't know their burn ratio. They don't really have any of it down pat. And it's surprising because they say they need the money. And they chisel their friends both to donate and to volunteer while essentially handing the money directly to firms that are also lobbyists. And so I started this as a blog where I was market-segmenting their expenditures. When, when candidate public advocate de Blasio goes to Bar Toto around the corner for his house, he describes that expenditure as a meeting because he yeah. had a meeting there. But it was really a purchase of food and or alcohol. Similarly, when he goes to Staples, it's office supplies. And when he goes to, to the gas station, that's a travel expenditure. So I was market-segmenting what everybody was buying. And making making pie charts of it was where this project started, and after receiving support in order to um, get. Hey, um, answer, did, did you guys get
1: any? Did you guys get any? Um, did anyone from the tutor organization or any of these other people? Did they contact you, or are you just like little gnats flying around that they have just absolutely no interest in because you're too small and inconsequential for them to even care about you, or did they actually, did anyone contact you from these organizations? That's an
0: interesting question. I mean, for starters, Are, I don't think there's been what you would call a direct contact, but I wouldn't be the person to answer that question entirely. But what I can tell you is that the Hedge Clippers has been involved in staging, you know, rallies and happenings and visibility. For instance, the Sons Foundation, it's a, it's a cancer foundation, a lot of that was, a lot of their keynote speakers were from our target list, right? And so they essentially targeted song with a letter, like an open letter saying, you should not have these people speaking, you know, we'll be here protesting them and, and they worked with the foundation folks on making sure it was understood that they weren't protesting cancer research and that it was all you know, they've been handling a lot of that very smartly so as not to have you know, not to get the drop on them. But in essence they are showing up in public and causing, you know, organizations to become aware, to recoil, to need to account for this. There's been one news story that had fake photos of hedge clippers as if they were doing something they weren't. So they're reacting. They've had, you know, value walk hit pieces on the hedge clippers. Um, certainly folks on television, CNBC, and I think a few other networks mentioned it. And today there's a piece that's beautiful. You'll 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 have a good laugh when you look at it. Um Some manager essentially saying, yeah, like you said earlier with taxes, comparing it to actually comparing it to the Holocaust, saying, you know, this time it's the hedge fund manager. Previously it was the Jews. He actually said, this is in print and you can find it today in CNBC. So, yeah, they...
1: um, Well, they had, what's his name?
0: You have the president actually making the 25 hedge fund managers who earned more than, you know, all of the elementary school teachers or something. Right. You know, the guy said, well, if you did the same thing with the top 25 authors or athletes, you had the same thing. And I checked, actually, and I wanted to compare some of the highest net worth authors and athletes to the 2014 proceeds of Bill Ackman. And in 2014, Bill Ackman earned more than the net worth of Michael Jordan, the highest paid actor in history, or J.K. Rowling, the highest paid author in history. And so just last year, he earned more than the top Oh, when things. I heard that
1: about the the twenty five yeah. top hedge fund guys making more than all the kindergarten teachers, yeah. I, I thought, well, that they make much more. I mean, like much more. It was like not even a comparison. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was like being yeah. very modest a, as an example. I, I, they obviously make much, much more. And yeah. you know, yeah. let's face it, um, they they they're parasites on the society. They contribute no real value. You know, to take the line from the the Wall Street, you know, the first Wall Street movie, you know, I create nothing, I own. In most cases, they don't even own for any more than a short period of time. They have been, you know, a lot of their uh, activities have been uh, responsible for higher food and fuel costs, and that in it in itself contributes to poverty. People can afford less. They can they can afford less gasoline or or less food to feed their families, so it's it's a rapacious, uh, you know, this little tiny subset of society that wields an inordinate amount of power. Look, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, doing the work that you're doing, Uh, If there's any way that that I or, you know, my blog here, Mike Norman Economics, can support Hedge Clippers. I think, you know, I know all of my contributors and people who follow the blog would be 100% uh, willing to do that. I think you guys are on a good mission, um, you know, and we we have to intensify it and and really focus on um, the negative uh, stuff that these guys bring to the table, which is enormous. And how it hurts every other member of society.
0: And this is this is a year for it. I mean, there's a huge debate about campaign finance and how it works right now and, and a lot of people that make very disingenuous arguments using math. So we definitely need folks that are numerate, you know, that have you know, that have an understanding whether it's of economics or simply of how a balance sheet or how ratios and proportions and scale and scope work with numbers so that when people say things, they're oh, well, it's the same thing with that actor. But no, it isn't. You know, the highest net worth actor is maybe worth what one of these guys, one of these guys earned in a single year. So it's a, it's a different ball game. And so I, I definitely appreciate you bringing it with, uh you know, get in touch with yeah. the folks that are really running the hedge clippers. Let me, I'll, uh, I'll
1: let, let me put out the, um, the hedge clippers uh, for everyone who's listening is hedge clippers, that's H E D G E C L I P P E R S dot org. So it's a good website that you know, a lot of the names that John spoke about right here in our conversation are on there. By the way, this guy Paul Singer, you know, he's the guy who's suing Argentina, right? And I yeah. you know, it, it that whole story has is just made me Crazy because if I was running Argentina, I would so tell that guy to fuck off. You know, Argentina still wants to kind of make good on its dollar debts when it doesn't have to at all. Uh, You know, and they went to court, and and he's, you know, the the courts uh, decided against Argentina, but, you know, he's on there. You can read about him. You can read about Paul Tudor Jones. I'll definitely put more stuff up on the blog and also links to uh, Hedge clippers. Uh, but, John, I uh, really appreciate uh, the work you're doing, and I also appreciate that you came on the podcast today. It was it was great to uh, to listen to what you had to say.
0: Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Anytime, Bye, Mike.
1: All right, John, take care. Have a great uh, Memorial Day.
0: You too. Happy holidays.
1: You too. All right, folks, that's it for now. See you next time. This is Mike Norman. Take care. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.